Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. about something this morning that is certainly not our first time passing through here and um, certainly to those that have been in church for a little while you've probably heard this parallel from scripture I'm not going to try to get through in the first session of our first service so I'll I'll just kind of pace myself and we'll perhaps finish up in our second service if that'll be all right but I just want to talk this morning about the church. I, I preached a little bit about it last Sunday, but the church triumphant. Amen. I'm thankful for the church, and uh, with all of its, with all of its ills, I, I really and truly don't say this sarcastically, but I do not need you to point out its faults. I'm aware, and not just this local assembly, but the church at large. I'm aware, but I can tell you that it's still the safest place to be. Still the best place to be. Thankful for the church. Thankful for the church. And uh, when we see the church in its many facets, it is just humbling, amazing. I, I see the church services sometimes that are shared with us through the venue of our missionaries as they pass through. And I think about how real God is, not just here, but everywhere. Not just in a language that I can understand, but in a language that uh, I cannot understand, some of which I may have never even been exposed to before, but you see the presence and the power of something that you can relate to. This past Wednesday night, under, I want to thank Brother Tim Trail for orchestrating um, uh, our van going down to Ocala. I was privileged to be a part of that service. Several of us went down to the Spanish service and and uh, outside of um, just a few words, Asus, every now and then, <laughs> Cristo, um, I didn't understand the thing that was said. But I certainly enjoyed what I felt. And I'll tell you something. I mentioned this to Brother Trail. I mentioned this to him during the service. What was fascinating to me is not just one, but every service leader and just including the preacher but different facets during the service as you would listen to them in their dialect begin to say whatever it was they were saying and in their worship when they begin to speak with other tongues you could instantly tell that was the one thing I knew that when they begin to speak in a heavenly language there was such a line of distinction and I thought, oh, God, you are so incredible. <laughs> you are so incredible. And so I'm thankful for the church. I mean, I know you've been standing a few minutes. The book of 1 Samuel 22, verse number 1 and 2. I've said a lot of this before through the years, but in all honesty, in over 25 years, I've said a lot of things before. So I hope I'm not just beating a dead horse and not trying to be redundant for redundancy's sake. But let's look at a story very familiar to many concerning the life of David. And and I'm asking a big thing here, I realize, because we're going to try to split this into two services, even though they're all going to take place in just a little in the same day. But I'm just going to ask you to really strive with me to keep continuity between what we're doing right now and and our conclusion in our second service, okay? Because we really are going somewhere. So the book of 1 Samuel 22 and 1, the Bible says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave 
Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. So the first thing that happened in David's life is that in a season of distress, David went to the cave and then his family came to him. And that can be positive and it can be negative. And you can just whisper amen if you're sitting kind of close to family members this morning. I'm up here by myself. I'm in a safe zone. But <laughs> nevertheless, don't let it be lost to us that his family, his brethren, his father's house heard it. They went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them and there were with him about 400 men. And I just want to talk about the church today. You may be seated. I don't know where anywhere in the word of God that we could turn to find perhaps a better parallel to the modern church than right here in this passage. You know, churches in their inception are like anything else. You, you have to start somewhere and you have to start with someone. And uh, I remember, please don't take this out of context, but I remember... Many years ago, a home missions pastor here in our state, he and his wife went to an unchurched part of a city, began a church, and uh, the struggles were many, and they were long. For many years, they toiled and labored just trying to build a foundation. And um, I remember talking to him one day, and he, and just, he just needed somebody to talk to, and so don't feel harsh here. And uh, I asked him how things were going. And he said, you know, he said, I just wish we could win somebody that owned their own car. <laughs> just <laughs> not reaching for the stars here. We just, if we could just get somebody that could just get to church on their own. And uh, eventually that most apparently happened and and they have built a great church in that city today. But you see, when you're at certain points in your life, you are just with who you're with. And you have to develop and you have to build and impart those things. And so if, if I can for just a few moments set the back, backdrop of this story, it was a, a particular, obviously, in an unusual time in the life of David. He was running for his life from King Saul. Saul was trying everything within his power to destroy David, and there is no doubt about that, and there is much evidence of that. In chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, David comes to Abimelech and receives provisions from him. It was there that he received even the sword of Goliath. However, while he is there, he is noticed by Doeg, one of the servants of Saul, and so he Leaves there, goes to Achish, the king of Gath. Uh, but upon being recognized as the conqueror of Goliath, David was a marked man. It was very hard for him to go somewhere and people not know who he was. He was not just David, but he was David that had killed Goliath. And so that brought notoriety. And with that notoriety and fame, it also brought a lot of problem and peril. So he feigned himself. David feigned himself to be somewhat deranged and Achish sends him away. So now David finds himself one more time in the, on the run, and this is where we find him this morning. He's in the cave of Dulem. And while he's at the cave, he is joined by his family, the Scripture says, and 400 men of various descriptions. In the truest sense of the word, it was um, really just a kind of a ragtag group of men, a band of men. And according to history, these men didn't just show up at one time. They didn't just show up 400 strong, but they just began to show up little by little. Ever, ever how they came, they came until the number according to Scripture reached 400. This was not a mass of men who just knocked on his door, but just 
over the period of time, this army or this band of men grew. I, I think it's important to remember that. This is one of the points that I'm asking you to hold on to because I want to come back to this a, a little bit later. Adullam's cave is probably one of the greatest portraits of the church that we could ever see in the entire Bible because the very name Adullam means refuge. And uh, to me, I don't think I'm alone in this, but to me, I, I think if the church ought to be anything, it ought to be a refuge. This is, this is not a, a museum where we just try to put on display the finest. It's anything but. It's truly anything but. But the church ought to be a place that we can come and find hope. No matter the circumstances of our life, I have said many, many, many times through the years that I feel like the church is a place that when we come that we ought to at least in some measure feel better about ourselves than we did when we came. That doesn't mean that everybody just, we just need somebody to pat us on our head to tell us we're okay when we're not okay. But, but there's still, even in the challenge of scripture and the challenge of preaching and, and our praise and worship, there ought to be something that helps us, uh, even if we discover faults in our lives, there ought to be something that helps us in that reach down deep and say, you know, I, I don't want to have to leave here ashamed, but I'm leaving here challenged by the word of God and by the worship. And so for David and the men who came with him, the cave of Dulem certainly, certainly became a cave of, of refuge. Men came to him from everywhere, 400 men at this point. The Bible gives a list of three issues that these men had, but bear, with, bear in mind that with these issues, these are not just standalone issues because... There are issues that go along with these three issues. So we're not just three things wrong. There are three things that are highlighted, but, but there's a lot of trickle-down effect from these things. The Bible talks about that these men were in distress, um, distress, a, a place of confinement, a place of disability, a place of anguish. And so there's a lot that goes on when you're going through a season of distress, and uh, then the Bible says that everyone who is in debt, we can relate to that. Um, the, though the idea of, of uh, through the idea of an imposition that was laid upon their life in debt to some degree, whether that is literal debt or just by implication, it is, it is something to feel the weight of debt. Now, I realize that there are people in, in this world that debt doesn't bother them, but I think by and large, uh, we, we can agree that debt, feeling indebted, whether that is literal monetary debt or in debt in other, in other ways, it has, a, uh, it has a weight to it, a sense of responsibility that comes with that. And so um, there's something that's being exacted from you. The Bible says that the, the borrower is servant to the lender. That's what the scripture says. And so there's a, there's a weight that, that comes with that. And so everybody that was in debt. And then the scripture says everyone who was discontented or bitter or angry. or Another word there I found interesting, another de definition of that word is chafed. I've met a lot of chafed people through, through time. Discontented, heavy. They came to this cave for various reasons. The Bible says for protection, for training. They came for a cause. There was something that at first seemed pretty straightforward and simplistic that it was a place to kind of get in out of the weather, but it was far more than that. God was going to turn this moment or this season into far more than that. God had a plan, and that plan was to turn this group of uh, have-nots, so to speak, into a mighty army that would accomplish his will and his way. The stories of David's 400 men are legendary. I mean, it's a very interesting thing. And according to our text, if we, if we carefully follow the progression of uh, these verses, David got to the cave all alone, and then his family joined him. They knew that David was God, God's anointed man. They knew that he was anointed king, so... They wanted to link up with him. They wanted to hook up with him because they realized this man may be in distress right now, but he has the anointing of God upon his life. And so I want to 
I want to hitch my life to this. I want to connect to this. They understood. They weren't coming there for a free ride, so to speak. They understood the future of David, and they understood the future of their nation. And so they wanted to connect themselves early on to that. Many others saw David in, in, the, in this sense, through the lens that there was no other hope. If there was going to be success in the kingdom, they had to come to him as well. And uh, these are, are those who were in distress. They were in distress because of Saul. They were in distress and in debt because of him and discontented um, because of the way that Saul was running the nation. And, and uh, it, it was going out of control, spiraling out of control very, very rapidly. And so it's important for us to, to see these men for not just what they are today. And I, I know in Scripture they're painted, and, and I've even used the word ragtag. We, we, uh, we see them for what they are today. But I think it's also important, and in all fairness, we need to, we need to see them for what they have been. Amen. That's the key. They, they weren't always this way. They weren't always in this state of mind, physically, emotionally. Uh, I, many years ago, my family and I, we had a, an old dog. It was the first old dog that we ever uh, got when we came here to pastor the church. We went to the little animal shelter there in Lake City and was a little black lab. And she just became part of the family. And she was a protector. I mean, she just... She just didn't let anybody, I mean, anything in the yard, just other dogs or varmints or anything. She, was, uh, she wasn't vicious, but she was a great protector. And as time went on, she got older and older and older, and those dogs are prone to having hip dysplasia. And in time, she couldn't get around. And, and so in time, she stopped, she stopped those duties, and she, she wasn't able to do that. And I remember many times dumping out her food, and I'd pat her on the head. I said, I'm still feeding you for what you used to be. <laughs> I'm going to feed you today. Not today, you're worthless. <laughs> oh, come on! You, you know where I'm going and what I'm talking about. I mean, to, there's no value. To, she, she. I think you're getting the point. You're just trying to make me feel bad. <clears throat> So we got to bear in mind that I'm doing this today because you haven't always been this way. It would have been hard to be affectionate to and, and love and appreciate something that had always been in that condition. And so it would be with these men. I mean, this is not the kind of people that you would want to necessarily be around. But David also realized that this is not the everyday condition of these men. They, this, is, this is where they are today, but this is not what they've always been. And David had faith that this is not what they'll always be, that this is a season of their life. And so he was right because if we skip to the end of the story, David ended up with 400 qualified men, highly qualified men, fighting men. And that, that number later increased to some 200. And, and so, again, another principle that we uh, will talk about in, in a few minutes. But some of his mighty men and their leaders are listed in, in the book of Second Samuel and then, of course, in the historical books of Chronicles the people around David would have never been noticed in history. It's important to realize this if it had not been for their association to David. And so they went to him at a certain season in their life. And it had, if it had not been for this connection in the cave, <laughs> these men would have no recognition whatsoever because they would have just been lost in the masses, but they connected the, themselves to something that was greater than them in like fashion the disciples would have likely died unknown had they not walked with the Lord. It was their connection. It was who they connected themselves to that changed the complexion of their life and certainly changed their position in history. God usually doesn't call the great and powerful to be his servants. If you look, God generally calls those who would just have a heart for him, that tender place in him and, and those that are willing to obey his will. And then God takes of them and begins to mold and fashion and, and purge and pull into his purpose. David's little band of rejects, so to speak, represented a future nation. And so you, you don't need to look at them today for what they are now, but look at them for what they're going to be because God's hand of blessing is upon their life. History reveals that it was this devoted remnant, as small as it might be, that was going to hold the key to the work of God 
and even have implications even into the kingdom work of God. And so just think about that. If you, so if you just stop reading with 400 um, rejects, if you just stop reading with 400 men that are distressed and then dead, and, and, and uh, if you just stop reading there, you'll fail to understand that God is going to use them in a mighty way, and they're going to have a huge imprint, as a matter of fact, even into what we're doing here this morning. Think about that. Listen to just one excerpt from the heart of David during this dark and despairing time in his life. We find this in the book of Psalms, the 142nd Psalm, verses 1 through 7. This is the heart of David during this season of despair. Psalms, uh, many of the Psalms were just David's diary, so to speak, where he just wrote his feelings, he wrote his prayers, he wrote his repentance, he wrote his praise. And so this is a glimpse into David during a very dark season of of his life. In the 142nd Psalm, David said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. The word supplication there means my needs. And so I can come to the Lord and let him know that I've I've got more on my mind today than just to say thank you. But I have a need. I have a supplication. I poured out my complaint, verse 2, before him. I showed before him my trouble. I presented good, bad, and ugly before him. Here it is. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I have walked, I walked. In the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and Beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in thy in the land of thy in the in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. <laughs> I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. For they are stronger than I. Wow, what honesty. He's not trying to whistle himself through the other side of the cemetery. He is just talking to God about where he really is. I am brought very low and my persecutors are stronger than I am. I could be taken out. Bring my soul, verse 7 says, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about for they shall deal bountifully with me. David prayed. As David prayed, this cave become more than just this damp, dark place to get in out of the weather. But as David began to pray and, and make praises known and even his supplications known to the Lord, the cave now become far more than just a hole and an impression in the earth, but it became a holy tabernacle. It was here by faith that he could find shelter under the wings of the cherubim of the holies of holy, so to speak. What looked like a cave to others was really a divine sanctuary for a man destined to be king. The reason for this is because he knew that the Lord was his portion. and He understood that God is my refuge. So to David, the fugitive life was like being in prison, but he trusted the Lord to see him through. I'm just here for a season of time. He knew that God would keep his promises and give him the throne and the kingdom. And so here David is between the promise and that and, and that the fulfillment of that promise. And he's just in this muddy middle, but he realizes that God has his hand upon my life. I would speak to people this morning that maybe are right there today, that, that place of great uncertainty. You don't really know where and what the future holds, but you walk one step at a time by faith and trusting God. If you're not there today, you certainly have been there at some point in your life that, that there is that your, your life is just seemingly marked by uncertainty, but he knew that God would help him. These men that were surrounding David started out like misfits, and they were little more than just outcasts, but David began to weld them into a, a, a fighting machine. He began to make of them Men that could defend not only a nation, but they could also leave a footprint in the kingdom of God. It sounds a little bit like Ezekiel's vision when he saw those dry bones. It didn't look like a whole lot, but, but Ezekiel had confidence in God and what God could do with that. And as the wind began to blow, an army stood from that dust. 
God taught David the leadership that he would need to lead a nation while he was just in a cave leading 400 men. It was a great thing to be the leader of 400 men, but you see, God had something much larger than that in mind for David, and so he said, I'm teaching you now how to lead a nation. Each man has choice to make. Is it, am I going to lay down my past? Am I going to try to somehow get over my failures and, and then allow the Lord to use me in a brand new way in, in my future? I will say this to, again today to everybody that's in this place. We all have a past. And if we want to start throwing rocks, you better move out of your glass house. We all have a past. And so somehow these men had to make a conscious decision that I'm going to lay down my past. And everybody else may call me Jacob from here on out, but I need an experience with God that changes my name to Israel. And, uh, and the world may still call me Jacob, but I'm never going to refer to myself as Israel again. I'm going to lay down my past and move forward. And that same thing is true for everybody in this room. The hurting, the wounded, the scared, the scarred, the bloody, those that have to make a choice. Either I'm going to live out the rest of my life in this condition or, or I'm going to allow the hand of God to restore me and to put my feet back under me. The Bible says in Joel 2.25 and 26, this is what Joel promised. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people, he said, listen to this last line, and my people shall never be ashamed. I'm going to restore what's been taken away. I'm going to give back the years that the locusts have eaten and the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. I'm going to give that back to you. And he said, in addition to that, I'm going to remove shame from you. <laughs> I'm going to take shame from you. Amen. God will heal people. I'm going to tell you today in Jesus' name that God can heal people not just mentally and physically and emotionally, but God can heal us from the shame of our past. Amen. Yes, he can. And if we're not careful, the longer people stay in church, they forget the power of that praise because they feel like they've lived so far on this side of the line, they forget just where God really has brought them from. I don't want to just roll around the mud and the mire of my past, but nor do I want to shake so much of the mud off that I forget where the Lord brought me from. Amen. Uh, he'll heal us from our shame. Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He put his foot upon the head of shame. The Bible talks about the distressed, the distressed. They had to move on. We can't stay there. The word distress here literally means someone that is oppressed, particularly oppressed by an army. And these men were, they were distressed because they were being opposed, hunted. They were being stalked by an enemy. These wearied men came to David in this cave. And here's the neat part. David took them in. <laughs> At the lowest point in his life, and people come to him low, in distress, and David didn't stand at the door and say, sorry, fellas, I got my plate full. I got all I can handle. But he said, come in. He took them in. They had a choice to make. They could keep on running from the enemy, or they could take a stand in the cave with David. 400 men decided that, you know what, I, I've just got to stop running. And you know what, at some point, we all have to stop running and decide that this is it, this is it. I'm not standing in a palace, but this is it. I'm not surrounded by the finest of fine, but I, I, I'm telling you that this is it. I'm not going any further. And so it sounds like a pretty obvious choice. They said, I'm going to connect with David, and we're going to see what God will do. It's incredible how some people never reach that place in their life. They don't want to give up the oppression of the enemy. Somehow the devil has a foothold in their life. And, and if the truth be known, and I'm, I'm being pretty plain and straightforward here today, today but if the truth be known, they kind of like that foothold because they found some identity in that foothold. Amen. And so we need, we need, to, we need to say, Lord, I want you to heal me but I, I'm willing to be healed. I, I want you to deliver me and I'm willing to be delivered. I, if, that, if that means that 
I had to set down that part of some identity in my life. I don't want to hold on to that. I want to cut loose from everything that I possibly can. If God has delivered us from the bondage of oppression, then I have got to then fill my life with godly things, good things. You know, some people just think, I'm, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to stop everything. And, and, and they get so out of balance and that's short-lived. It's just a short-term decision. And that's because you cut one thing out of your life, but you don't think forward enough to bring something else into your life. You can cut bad things out of your life, and, and everybody ought to do that. But if you just cut bad things out of your life, it leaves a void. You need to cut the bad things out and fill it with good things. Amen. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, he said, think on these things. Think on these things. Amen. I've, I've shared this before, but I, I remember particularly more than once, but I remember particularly just kind of, just kind of being in the doldrums. Is that all right to admit that publicly? Just kind of being in the doldrums. And, and I just sit down in my chair and I put my headphones on and I just begin to listen to some good gospel music. Begin to listen to some preaching. Amen. I, and, and, and all of a sudden, I literally, I just felt that weight of despair just start lifting off of me. Amen. Why? Because I, I, I couldn't afford to just keep walking around like that. If there be any good thing, if there be any praise, if there's anything, I need to think on that. I need to fill my mind with something positive. I need to fill my mind with something because you know what? The battle begins in our mind. Whatever you dwell on, that will eventually control you. If, you, if it's bad, 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 your day's gonna be bad, 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 bad. And at some point, we can't let that control us. I've got to say, Lord, I've got to put something in here. I've got to flush this system out, my mind out, my thoughts out. The Bible says take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, that's a tall order. Amen. That's a tall order for seasoned saints to take every thought, every thought take captive to the obedience of Christ. And so when we, have, when we begin to think things we shouldn't think, we've got to captive. Captivate that thought. We've got to capture that. I've got to stop that. We're a new creation, and so we have to fill our life with new things. It's not just about walking away from sin. We've got to walk away from the world but into the arms of the Lord. Amen. And so, you know, many times uh, people get in trouble because they just they, they remove certain things from their life, but they never put nothing good back in its place. And I want to do that. I want to make sure that I feel myself with the same, with the good things. And so I, I've got to have fresh thoughts, fresh ways, and, 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 and new priorities. If we just remain idle, if we're not careful, you'll just drift right back where you were. Because the Bible says that old bondages, and, and this is what's so a word of caution here. The, the Bible talks about when we return back. When the devil comes back and finds something swept and garnished, that he returns, but he doesn't just return like he was. Am I in the book here? But the Bible talks about him coming back seven times stronger than he was the first time. And so when, if you start thinking, what's the harm? I'm preaching about what's the harm right now. Once we get it cleaned out, we need to leave it cleaned out because he's not just moving back in with the furniture that he moved out with, but he's coming back with more. And so I've got to make sure, I've got to make sure that I keep it swept and garnished. So in order to be delivered, we've got to hate that oppression. We've got to hate that spirit. The Bible says of Job that he didn't just love the Lord, but he hated sin. There's some people that love the Lord, but they don't hate sin. And that is all the trimmings for trouble. They love the Lord. They love what they feel. They love the anointing of God, the power of God, the presence of God, but they haven't fallen out of love with the world. But the, the Bible said of Job that he loved God, but he eschewed, he hated evil. I say that there ought to be a sense of righteous indignation that stirs up within the church, whether there's a preacher in the pulpit or not. 
when sin is running waist deep in our, in our streets, the church, we ought not have our hand over our mouth, our hands over our eyes, or our fingers in our ears, but the church ought to stand with a united voice. Amen. God, help us, help us, help us. We need to run for the Lord. Get to the cave of Adullam and be with God's people and let them make us into what God intends for us to be. The Bible talks about those that were indebted. They had to trust God in the cave. David had nothing to offer them. They weren't running to David because he had a ton of things to give. It was a place they could come and trust God equally. But here's what you find in the cave. These men were equally committed to one another. They looked to God together. You know, that sounds a whole lot like the church. It certainly sounds a lot like the early church. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in Acts 2, 44 and 45, and all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Amen. That, that doesn't sound like what some people interpret it to be. But I'm telling you today is what, what they were saying is whatever is mine is yours. I mean, I'm not going to have two things and you have nothing. And we're going we're gonna to help one another out. And that's the beauty of the church. I've watched the church rise to occasions, not just for missionaries or home missionaries or not just for certain ministries, but I've watched the church rise to the occasion for its own. When a member was wounded, when a member was going through something, we'll, we're going we're gonna to be there to encourage and strengthen. Amen. They were just common folk. And, but what they did have, they, they, they began to share that with others. They said, we're going to help you. And, and you know what? We're not just talking about cans of beans here. or We're not just talking about dollars and cents. But, but sometimes you don't have any... You don't have any happiness, but somebody's got some happiness they can share. You don't have any confidence, but somebody's got some confidence they can share. Is this making sense? You feel that's why, that's why Romans 15 and 1 says, Them that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. It doesn't say the Smiths ought to encourage the Jones. It doesn't say that this one ought to encourage that one. It just says the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak because some days we're strong and other days we're weak. But when the strong are strong, they need to part that out to the weak and impart to them and infuse that, share that, strengthen them, encourage them, set them up on a higher rock. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm thankful for encouragers in my life. The Bible talks about the discontented. They had to find rest. People came to David. They were not satisfied with the status quo. They were not satisfied with what was going on in the kingdom. They were not satisfied with serving under a king that was not hearing from God. There is little doubt in anybody's mind that this particular point in history that Saul was a reprobate. Amen. I know that's a strong word, but you, you study it. Amen. Saul was a reprobate. He had run so far. He was out of control. He was a man that was a very, very dangerous man because not only did he had a twisted lens to look at life through, but he had all power and all authority to fulfill whatever evil desire he had. And so they were not satisfied with that. And when they rose up against him, that put their very life in jeopardy. And so they came to David not only to find a future, but they came to David to find hope. And God gave them just that. However you know, the life with David, if you hang around with David, it's not all fun and games. <laughs> Apart from the very real threat of attack by Saul, which was imminent danger every day. You're also surrounded by 400 other people <laughs> that are in the same shape you're in. They're distressed. They're in debt. They're, there's no need to lean over the next door and say, hey, can I borrow a nickel? They didn't have a nickel to, to, to lend. No, no, no need to look at your neighbor and say, man, could you just say something to lift me up? I mean, that you... They were on the bottom themselves. And so if you just think about this for just a moment, it took time for them to become an army. They, they didn't just march in there and all of a sudden David sing one song, strum one time on his harp, and they all just rose and saluted and said, which way would you have us go, sir? No, it took time. It took time for them to become an army. And, you know, if, if you're not careful and, and uh, there, there's, no, there, there's no hidden agenda here, I'm just speaking, but if you're not careful... 
if, if we are not careful as individuals, we can become so, so discontented with things. And once that starts, if you don't nip that in the bud, if you don't deal with that, you know, some people just move from church to church to church to church, and I know there are times that God calls people to different places, and that's not at all what I'm referring to, so I'm not hurling rocks, but I'm just saying they're just, they're just from church to church to church to church because they're looking for the perfect church, and there's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as that. There, there, the reason there's no such thing as that is there's many reasons for that, but in part, the reason there's no such thing as a perfect church is because all churches are filled with humans. And as long as you've got human beings in the mix, you've got problems. And so if you can't get along with your own companion, if you can't get along with your own children, how in the world do you think you're going to get along with strangers? If you can't get along with people every day that you love, how are you supposed to get along from now throughout the rest of your life with people you just met yesterday? It's not, it's not ever going to happen. And so, uh, and so there's always going to be issues and problems but you know what we can become a church they didn't become an army overnight a church won't be a church overnight but we can become a church amen and so I pray that the Lord will help us that, that we can realize I, I want to find where God planted me I want to find where God placed me and then I just want to let the spirit of God help me become all that I can be hear me today every church in America every church around the world is a Doolam's cave <laughs> yes it is full of people that have come there because they're in distress they're in debt they're discontented and so it's at it, some point you just got to throw it all in cash it all in and say you know what I'm just going to I believe this is where God planted me or placed me and so I'm just going to let God develop me right here amen 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 even if, it is, even if it's not perfect, we need to let God do a work and build an army. God can do a lot of good things even in the imperfect situations. Amen. And so we've got to really be careful um, that we don't just get discontented and allow that spirit of discontentment to move us prematurely away from where God really wants to do a work in our lives. Amen. On the run from King Saul, here they are holed up in a cave, all these needy men coming to him. But I, I'm sure there were times that David had to feel vulnerable, but he just kept strengthening himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself. It was here that he wrote these words in Psalms 34, 6, and 7. The scripture says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel, excuse me, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. God was with him, and so God was with him. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament speaks of God's visiting presence with his people. Specifically, it speaks about the one uh, who would be born centuries later in Bethlehem by the name of Jesus. Amen. We got to trust in the Lord, if, and I have to trust that he has camped round about me. And he said this, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. But can I be bold enough to say this today? We've all felt left and we've all felt forsaken. <laughs> you better believe it. You better believe it. Job said, I looked for him all around. I couldn't find him. But there was something below those words that was settled in his heart. That he said with his lips. I looked for him and I couldn't find him. He said that with his lips. But something long before that day had been settled in his heart settled in his heart was the words I'll never leave you never forsake you <laughs> and so he said I can't find him but I know he's here somewhere I can't feel him but I know he's here somewhere because he promised he would not leave me alone he promised he would not leave me alone and so I have that promise that he's not going to leave me and not going to forsake me and so I'm going to put my trust and my confidence in him and what's more he gives the scripture says uh, at least one reference to this in Psalms 91, his angels charge over us. The Bible talks about and certainly refers to other places, angels camped around uh, when, one's, when, when one mighty 
prophet was, had a servant that was discouraged and thought, oh, Lord, we're just in this by ourselves. He said, Lord, would you just let the scales fall from me? Would you just lift the shades on his eyes for just a moment and let him just see the angels that are camped around about the mountain? Amen. I take great consolation in that. I don't know about you, but when I feel alone and, and deserted and when I feel like that there's no one else around me, I think, Lord, if I could just see with eyes of spiritual uh, uh, insight, if I could just see through that, not just rose-colored glasses, but heaven-colored glasses, if I could see, I would see angels hear me today. I'm telling you this morning, right at this very moment, there are angels capped out around this house. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. I'm not trying to give you some feel-good sermon for a feel-good moment. I'm telling you about God's undeniable, his irrevocable truth that he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And so we trust him that all things are going to work out. There are moments that I need to hear despite that confidence. Stay with me for just a moment, and I'll close in just a, in just a few moments. Even though we know the word of God, there are moments that I need to hear a voice tell me that I'm going to be okay. Amen. Now, I know some people hear the voice of God in an audible voice. And I can't say to you that, you know, I've had that audible voice conversation with God. I've felt God lay and impress things on my heart, and I felt like I've heard from the Lord so strongly before, it was almost like an audible voice. I'm not denying those that do have that testimony. But there are times when I do need to hear a voice tell me it's going to be okay. And you know what God uses to give us that voice because he said we are all fearfully and wonderfully made and so God knows that our human nature from time to time, we need somebody to touch us. Amen. We need somebody to hold our hand. We need somebody that has a word, a powerful word. I'm not just talking about prophecy, but I'm talking about a word of encouragement, not just some callous slap on the back, but a word. And you know what God uses in that season of time whenever I need a voice and I need the warmth of a body, the Bible. Amen. I need more than just the Bible. I need more than just ink and page, writ and paper. Amen. You know what God's going to use right then at that moment? He's going to use the church. The distressed, the deaded, the discontented. Amen. God can rise an army out among that group that can put their arm around me in my season of distress and I can feel warmth. I'm going to tell you that we have all been in an altar, literally praying and our eyes were closed and we were just kind of seeking and searching for God when all of a sudden we just felt an arm come around us they didn't have to grab us by the head and shake us, they didn't have to put us in a headlock to convince us that they were there but I felt warmth of a body, I felt the warmth of somebody who knows me and loves me for me, the church the church, the church, don't discount the church Amen. When somebody is going through a, a peril, a season of time in their life, and somebody can walk along beside you and tell you, I love you and I'm praying for you. Amen. The church, God gave the kingdom a voice. And that voice is the church. <laughs> the church. And so the church is my connection to the body of Christ. This, this is my heaven to earth connection. <laughs> this right here is where common men and women can come in the presence of an uncommon God. And so we have the church. So before you start kicking everybody out of the church, so you get all whittled down where you're comfortable. You might want to consider that the last person you just booted out the side door may be the one you need six months from now. That may be the very voice. That may have been the very person 
that God would stir and wake up in the two o'clock morning, wee hours of the morning, and stir them to a place of prayer. Amen. You don't ever know who's going to touch your life. You don't ever know who's going to touch your children's life. You don't ever know who's going to touch your grandchildren's life. Amen. Church is not perfect. Some 60, some 30, some 60, some 100. You know, I know that you wished everybody was 100 like you. Not. They're not. My prayer is if you just leave the 30s alone, maybe there'll be a 60. I'm shooting for 55 at least. But if we just disconnect ourselves from everything we disagree with, you're going to live a lonely, solitary life. You know what? We, I believe in fellowship. You know that. And so I'll say this as our Sunday school are getting ready to come in. You know, everywhere we go, we don't, I, I don't agree with everything we see. But here's the cool part. Is I don't have to answer for those churches. I just have to answer for this church. And so sometimes people worship in a way that, that is not necessarily my way of doing things. Boy, it is getting quiet now. So you go to camp meeting and somebody goes turning cartwheels across the front. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to criticize that. I don't think that's necessarily scripture. That's me. I think our worship needs to be able to something we can validate in the word of God. We can validate clapping our hands, leaping for joy, raising our hands. You know, there's a lot of things in scripture you can validate. Somebody goes swinging across the chandelier. That might have been flesh. Yeah, there's an outside chance <laughs> it was flesh. We're not going to burn the barn down because that happened. There are things you don't understand, things you don't know. You know, I, I know I've, I'm sure, I'm quite sure I've, at least I've said this publicly before. Go down to the campground. I don't know this gentleman's name. I, I, he always shakes my hand, always speaks to me every time. He spoke to me Friday night. Elderly man. And, and during the preaching, during the worship service at the campground, he runs. I don't mean trots. Runs. But you know what he told me years ago? He said, I, I was in a, a wheelchair for 11 years. And God healed me and rose me up out of that wheelchair. And he said, and that's, that's good enough for me. It's the church. You got anybody kin to you you don't agree with? Wow, I drew more blood on that than I anticipated. <laughs> They're our family. They're the family. It's just the family of God. The family of God. The church. The church triumphant. Amen. I need to stop because I'm feeling a metal in spirit. Come on, that's never healthy. The church. I'm thankful for the church. I'll finish this up in just a few moments. Let's stand and let's ask God to touch our lives. Can we ask him? Let's receive this word up to this point in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.